Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers, welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm starting the episode with that intro, which usually means that I have a guest on the show, otherwise I just get right into the content. And that's true. It's not our patrons. The patrons are coming up next week. Today's guest is somebody who I'm super interested to hear their perspective on the Fallout TV show before it drops. Somebody who has been writing their own Fallout stories, the man behind the Modest Files podcast. Did I say Modest? Modest Files podcast? <laughs> Cast has a T in it, Modest doesn't. Uh, Lawrence, welcome back to the show. How have you been? I've been doing fantastic. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and be able to talk some more Fallout. Yeah, I'm excited too. It's been a while, and uh, since the last time we talked, I know you've put out a whole bunch of new episodes. Uh, you always stay very, very busy. Um, give For those people who aren't familiar with the Modus Files, and you specifically, can you give us a little bit of a background, what you do on that podcast, all the different hats that you wear? Uh, what's 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 the story with that? Yeah, absolutely. So so I am the, the creator, the writer, the director, the producer, the editor and the narrator of the Modus Files, which is a Fallout themed podcast. Uh, it's in the Fallout 76 universe, but of course in the Fallout universe overall. And it's really telling uh, a Fallout story from the perspective of the bad guys. So it is an enclave themed story, um, but again, kind of based along the, the threads of Fallout 76. So it follows along some of the events that occur in the game. But since the beginning, it's, it's kind of that idea of the butterfly effect. So little changes, become bigger changes. So it's, it's really telling the story of all of these characters as they move through Appalachia and experience different things that are going on. I think we're on episode 73. Man, that's amazing. Now? Yeah, you've done um, you've done hours, just ton, tons of content you've created so far. Yeah, it's and it's it's really cool, too, because I've actually had a great opportunity to interact with members of the community and actually incorporate their characters or have them voice characters in the game. Like, for example, Jessica Starr, which is with um, United Wastelanders, mm -hmm. joined our cast. Um, we've had people that have come in. Um, Antlers, who is a big community person, um, actually has a character in the show. It's actually very convenient because that character doesn't talk. So I can have the character and I don't have to worry about getting a voice for it. That's the uh, easiest her, one. So. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is exactly why I invited you on the show to talk about the Fallout TV show at being somebody who has written many, many different episodes of a Fallout story, produced the content. As with so many of these things, whether we're talking about upcoming game releases or patches or expansions to the story and the lore and the games that I like to talk about on my podcast, the Fallout TV show is very much in the same vein. We know it's going to be canon. We know it's set in the Fallout world. It takes place after Fallout 4. So it's much further along in the storyline than, say, your podcast episodes are. But it still has... The same focus. We know the Brotherhood of Steel is involved. We know there are vault dwellers. We know that there are wastelanders out there. There's even a dog meat. Uh, and there's probably the NCR. Who knows if the Enclave is going to show up? Um, 
But what I want to know before we actually get to the episodes and we can see them and we, we know what we're actually getting because we've seen the episodes. I want to pick your brain a little bit as somebody who has experience in thinking through these kinds of things. Where do you go with the story? So when it comes to the Fallout TV show, what are you expecting them to do? Like, I guess two questions, really. What are your expectations? And then what how would you handle it? So first of all, let's start with your expectations. What do you think is actually going to happen in this season? So I think there's going to be a lot of world building because they are having to play to an audience that is beyond just the Fallout community. So while there will be callbacks to and references to the previous games, they're going to have to spend a lot of time building up what this story actually is. So what what is the Fallout universe? You know, we already know that there's going to be flashbacks to the Great War um, I also assume that there's going to be a lot of other flashbacks to events that will affect the future story. Because if I'm coming into Fallout and all I know is, oh, it, it takes place in the post-apocalyptic world, I may not realize that it's a post-apocalyptic world based on like the 1950s. Right. So as a, you know, if I was going to write this story or or kind of what I am expecting them to do is to spend a lot of that first, maybe even first couple of episodes really building the world that they're going to live in. And explaining some of the past and some of the characters will use that for exposition saying this is what happened i mean the the visuals look fantastic i mean they're really nailing kind of that visual aspect of fallout um, but i expect a slow burn i think they're going to want to start off with a with almost like a like a polaroid version of of the fallout universe so it's going to be a picture that we're going to get and then what's going to happen is is that they're going to build pieces of that story that are going to connect in. So there'll be the vault dweller that comes out of the vault. Then there's going to be uh, Walter Groggin's character, the ghoul that she's going to meet up with. And then they're going to introduce the Brotherhood of Steel. Every time they do this, they have to do it in a way that makes it believable, adds to the story and doesn't make it so that people are suddenly like taken out of it. Like, oh, wait a second. Where did all these people come from? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, So if I could chime in real quick, I I get where you're going with that, because I think one of the things that we as Fallout fans need to remember is that anytime you move a video game to another medium, whether it's a TV show or a movie, you're going to, of course, get a lot of people who are Fallout fans watching the show. But I would imagine at least half of the people, because the audience is so much bigger once you make something a TV show will not have much experience with Fallout at all. I have an example, one of my best friends, not a big video gamer, I found out that his wife was familiar with Fallout because she played Fallout Shelter on her phone, right? Like, and and oh, if you great. actually look at the numbers, millions and millions and millions of people, Fallout Shelter is the most played Fallout game, period, because it's on phones. So, so many of those people are gonna be familiar. Oh, Fallout, yeah, I play that game on my phone. But the percentage of people who have played through multiple games in the series like you or I have who have a firm connection to the lore we're in the minority right like these new people who are watching this tv show you got to get them up to speed and I think that's what you're basically explaining is that you actually have to cater to them first yeah and I think that you need to also avoid stepping on the landmines of um, well I think we as a community actually I'm going to speak to the community need not to become lore lawyers is is what I would call them. Lore, you know, lawyers. Are, yeah, lore lawyers. L- because lore there are going to be people who are going to look at this and say, oh, well, that's not that's not in the game. That doesn't make any sense. Why is the Brotherhood still doing this? Or, or why are they being redundant with this plot point? Didn't this already happen in one of the games? That kind of thing. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think that we need to give the show a chance 
to really build out a story and not be so concerned about, oh, well, this happened in Fallout 4, this happened in Fallout New Vegas. Why isn't this reflected? Really, we need to stop that because this is a new opportunity for us to reach an audience that is just massive and to give, I, I think, a great, you know, people want Fallout 5. Guess what? If the Fallout TV show is as successful as it could be, we will get Fallout 5. But if the community tears it down, all of a sudden now we're actually creating a, a negative effect. Like, why would they want to then invest in a new game? If, oh, look, the TV show bombed. And why did it bomb? Well, because we all hated it. And it's like, no, I mean, look at the visuals. Look at what the potential story is. I think that there's a huge amount there that we should actually be very happy about. And we should let the creators create. That's their job. Their job is not to write a script based on a video game. Theirs is actually to tell a story in an expanded universe, which is why I'm very excited that they didn't go in between games. They went beyond it, which means that they can tell a new story. All they have to do is do callbacks to previous events. Like I imagine we're going to hear about the Battle of Hoover Dam. We will find out what the canon ending of Fallout New Vegas was because we have to, because it's the Mojave and, and, you know, we need to know what happened. Yeah. But within that story, there's a huge amount of material that they can bring to the forefront. And quite frankly, I think even the callbacks to the great war are going to be fantastic because that's something that we've read about. We've seen references to, you see that beginning in fallout four. Now we actually get interactions with people who lived there. So Walter Grant's character as being the ghoul will be kind of our storyteller as to, hey, this is what life used to be like. This is what happened to me. And this is why I'm this way, you know, in in the wasteland. Right, right. Basically using his character to explain not only the past and the history, but what are ghouls and how does the radiation, the FEV work and, and, and those kinds of elements. And you're right. They have to re-explain all of that because a lot of people won't understand any of it. And there's there's a thin line to tread there. You want to leave a certain amount of mystery, but at the same time, you need to explain things enough so that people don't just get lost and feel like, well, this this is just weird and they don't explain any of the weirdness. Right. You need to at least give them a little bit of some breadcrumbs in order to get from point A to point B. And um, and I, I am on the same page as you are. I, I try to stay positive with things. I understand that video game worlds, especially game worlds where they continue to make sequels and those kinds of things are living universes. They are going to continue to evolve. And in many cases, you can't be stuck to exactly 100% of the lore that came before because it becomes limiting on your ability to tell new stories and to expand the story and the scope and, and to move to new creators and get their ideas involved and all of that. It's a very complex thing. So I, I absolutely agree that we need to be not lore lawyers and, you know, just it's it's one thing to look at all the little details and go, oh, that's interesting because that's different than what I expected because in the lore this happens and in this version of the story this happens or whatever. It's another just to say, oh, well, they just keep on breaking the lore. This thing sucks. And then just turning negative because, I mean, let's face it, so much of the Internet and so much of the gaming community on the Internet is full of these loud negative voices and ultimately they're just being gatekeepers They're on some level. It's just they're just stroking their own egos about how much they know about a thing. And in order to prove it, they have to crap all over anybody else's stuff. Um, one of the things that I talk about on the uh, Lord of the Rings lorecast because of the Rings of Power series, people were asking about that similar kind of situation. You have an expansion to the lore that everybody already understood a new a new kind of take on it, a new version of it. And one of my points, and I'd like to get your perspective on this, one of my points to the audience was that if the spirit of the thing is correct 
and the acting and the directing and the writing is good, then I'm fine with it. If they break a little bit of lore in the process, but they get the spirit of it and they get good acting and good directing and good episodes and really interesting stories with plot points, then I'm fine. Now, if they keep even more to the lore, that's great, but that's not a deal killer as long as they at least follow the spirit of it. Do you agree? I agree. I think that there's a, you know, there, there's derivations of everything. You know, no story is going to be told the same way twice, and and nor should we try. I think that there's a lot that can be explored, and a lot of times we recall things of our childhood or something we read in the past, and we're like, that was really great. I want to see that again, not realizing that if you just see the same story over and over again, it's like, that's just boring. It's like, why? <laughs> right, right. Like, I know what's going to happen. Give me something a little different, and... And I agree with you. If it's if the acting is good, the directing is good, then it's a good story. I think where I where I will, excuse me, level a legitimate criticism is that if the story is bad, if the acting is bad, if the directing is bad, then I have no problem calling something bad. Yes, absolutely. You know, you know I would you know. I would much rather them get the acting, the directing, the storytelling and the spirit of the fallout world correct and fudge the lore a little bit then get the lore correct and not tell a good story or kind of miss the spirit of it. Like they'll get all the technicalities, right? Like, oh, the names and dates and characters and and canon endings of everything all fall in line, right? Like, oh, that's the, exactly the right suit of armor. And this is exactly the type of super mutant that should be in this area. You know, any of those little details, if they get all that stuff right, but then they botch the acting or the directing or the storytelling or just the spirit of it feeling like fallout then that sucks. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, well, I, and I think you actually nailed it, hit the nail right on the head there, which is it's the spirit of Fallout that we should be celebrating. And that's what I'm really hoping to see that that we see in the show. I think the the absurdity of vault Tech, I mm-hmm. think, is going to come through. We've already seen, like, the scenes of some something bad happening in the vault. Now, that could be part of the experiment that vault Tech was going to be doing in that vault, or it could be an outbreak of some disease. I was actually very much reminded of like vault 51, um, the whole nuclear winter thing from 76. When I saw that, you know, the crazy vault, the vault dwellers. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think this is also a great opportunity to move fallout into new areas of the country. So we already know that the brotherhood is coming into the Mojave from outside of it. We know that, that they're going to be based somewhere outside of it. Yeah, it seems like it might even be the East Coast Brotherhood coming back to the West again or something like that, possibly. Well, I mean, I, I'm actually very interested in how they're going to explain that because yeah. in my mind, like to me, if you look at the United States as, a, as your roadmap for the series, I think there's no reason in the world why you couldn't use this as a jumping off point to explore things like Fallout Texas. Or getting back to the East Coast and seeing kind of what happened there, because I I suspect what they're doing is this is kind of the beginning of the rebuilding phase. Like you've had this 200 years of chaos, 200 years of the wasteland, and now things are starting, you know, civilization has kind of gotten to the point where, okay, now it's going to start spreading again. Mm-hmm. And and through that actually is a great way to create conflict, because in it, then then the question becomes, how are you rebuilding? Is this... The Brotherhood way? Is this the NCR way? Because we know we're going to see the NCR. Um, and then, of course, if you look at, you know, Valtech and, and all of the other competing interests that you have, yeah. those are all great ways to com- tell compelling stories without actually even impacting anything else that we would consider about the Fallout universe. It's like this is, I wouldn't say a clean slate, but what you have is a very solid foundation. 
And if they do it right with the super mutants, with, you know, all the different radiated creatures, you know, tack on a really good story. I mean, I think, I mean, I know why they put the Brotherhood in there because, you know, everybody loves power armor. I mean, I, I'd love for there to be something other than that, but I'll take it. Well, they're a uh, staple of the series. Uh, you, yeah. you can't really do a Fallout game without the Brotherhood, or at least they haven't yet. They haven't done a Fallout game without the Brotherhood in some regard. True. Yeah. So yeah, even though even though in like Fallout New Vegas, you can actually destroy them, which is like, you know, right. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah. Sometimes they're a minor faction, but they're always there right. somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like kind of like Nuka-Cola is kind of it's there are certain I did an episode on like things that are fundamentally always going to be in Fallout. Right. Whatever Fallout game they put these. These are the tent poles, basically, of this thing being Fallout. Uh, and that's one of them. Um, also, before anybody uh, adds me, I don't think they should mess up the lore. I'm not saying they should. What I'm saying is worst case scenario, if they fudge some of that, I'm way more OK with that than just a show with like terrible acting. <laughs> like that's unwatchable. It's one thing to be like, oh, I'm bugged about, you know, the little doodad on the side of the power armor isn't accurate to the one in Fallout 4 or whatever. You know, that like those little details don't matter as much to me specifically. Um, so here you were talking about the wackiness. There's there's the wackiness of Fallout. There's the juxtaposition between the wackiness and the seriousness of the wasteland and the dire situation humanity's in. There's the moral dilemmas. There's the commentary on the United States and different ways to govern and the nature of capitalism and democracy, like all of these kinds of themes in it. But you mentioned the wacky stuff and the vault. One of the big things that so many people have some for some reason are clinging on to is the Cyclops, <laughs> the Cyclops overseer. And my take on that was, yeah, Fallout's got some wacky characters in it. There's a guy with a tree growing out of his head that turns into a tree. We can't have a Cyclops? Like, what? Uh, how do you feel about the Cyclops overseer? I don't understand what people's problems were. I mean, it's a, first of all, it's a Vault-Tec vault. So who knows what was going on in, because I think that was actually, so Vault 33 is the one that, the main character comes out of vault 36 is where the cyclops guy was yeah we know that vault was open exposed to radiation i mean who knows i right. mean I, I just i actually love the fact i mean the, the fact that he, he picks up a coffee mug and drinks it, he's like no that's the moldy one. Ooh, that's the moldy one like i think that's awesome i yeah. do not understand like okay we have super mutants we have Casadors, we have death claws. I mean, we have all of these crazy monsters. We have body horror, you know, weird. Oh my god! Oh, the, like, the, the, yeah. The, the, oh, the, yeah, the one with centaurs. The there's, the, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of weird mutated body horror stuff. Uh, yeah. Something like a cyclops, which is like there is actually a natural state where some people are born with only one eye. Like that is a natural mutation that can occur. So to say that that's something that could have occurred because of the FEV or some sort of weird experiment or something is really not that far-fetched. Not at all. And, and actually, I, again, I love the fact that they're taking chances as well. I think that they are trying to add that, that comedic factor to it, which is, which is what Fallout needs. I think too many people, you know, always kind of focus on, well, it's, po it's the post-apocalypse. And yeah, it's the post-apocalypse where people are actually happy in a lot of cases where they're like, Hey, this is great. I can do whatever I want. And like, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't understand why people got upset about that, especially because all it was, was the trailer. You have no idea the context, anything else. I'm just, I, I'm in, I'm in wait and see mode on something like that, but I'm very encouraged by the fact that they're taking a chance like that. Yeah. I, I like it too. And and the fact that everyone just jumps to conclusions and assumptions about things, it's like, just wait, just wait. Maybe there's a good explanation. You don't know. You don't know until you see it. Um, 
yeah so that's that's one of the weird things i hope we get some other weird and wacky stuff uh i think having a dog in it dog meat is going to be great uh i think there's going to be some really speaking about funny moments like the shots of him with the hand in his mouth like a person carrying a person's hand around that's great uh the dark humor like all sorts of opportunities for that well, the the ironically enough, last weekend I was on a I was on a stream with uh, the artist uh, Overshire from the community, mm-hmm. and she always watches movies while she's doing her drawings. Yeah, I, I and, love her work. I, I love oh, her style. It's so good. Yeah, I'm over the moon with her. And she was watching a boy and his dog, which is actually the the inspiration for Fallout. Right. <laughs> you know that was that was like what led to Fallout. And I was watching that, and I was like, wow, the dog all of the different little aspects of that. And it's like, you know, that movie was ridiculous yeah. and it was fantastic from a cheese standpoint. And I'm like, I hope that they put enough of that into this fallout series. And I hope that we get it because I think that it appeals to people of our age. I think it ap- appeals to an older audience that remembers how badly good a lot of the, that old stuff was like that. Those of, old B movies from like the seventies yeah. and eighties and nineties, like that, that like, the really crunchy like so uh, this is something I have to explain to my son. He's 13 now. He's he's lived his entire life with computer generated graphics and movies and those kinds of things. Um, Gremlins came up the other day. My wife made a, made a reference to the Gremlins movies and I had to explain to him like, well, this is Gremlins. It was one of those 1980s movies where it was creepy, but weird and funny at the same time. But most of the creepy came from the actual practical effects and how there's like this weird uncanny valley with practical effects in a movie and that that creates this like weirdness it's like a creepy weirdness that you don't quite get with cg i would love i would love some of that i don't know if that we're gonna get any of that in in the fallout movie i have a feeling it's gonna be a lot of cg because that's just the way things are now but uh but yeah that same kind of vibe uh was a lot of inspiration for the original fallout you have to remember fallout one came out when like 1997 yeah it's it's been a while right oh it has it has been a while and i think that there's a and even and it's and again this kind of goes back to the whole thing of canon is that if you go back really quote unquote fallout canon didn't really start until well i mean you can even say okay fallout 2 but really it wasn't even until like fallout 3 fallout new vegas and fallout 4 where everything kind of came together and crystallized because you look back at like fallout tactics and Fallout Brotherhood of Steel and games like that, where it's like, well, okay, yeah, they they just I who knows what they were thinking when they wrote those games. So again, I I take myself out of the idea of game lore so much, and I look at the Fallout universe and I I have overarching ideas of what the Fallout universe is and all of the different stories that can exist within that. And I think that's that's an attitude I wish more people had, which is that this is a this is a a, an, a blank slate for us to spill in. And anybody can do it. And what what one person does over here doesn't necessarily have to impact what one person does over here. Right. It's like we can all live together and have nice, happy fallout stories. Well, okay, (laughs) not all happy fallout stories, but, you know, (laughs) dark, terrible fallout stories as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I find a lot of people will do is they'll tend to overfocus in one specific area. Um, I, I get messages from people who get super in the in the weeds with like this one event in this one location with these this one group which implies this about this other thing and it's great like there's nothing wrong with speculating there's nothing wrong with taking certain points in the lore and as jumping off points but to assume that the writers have your same conclusion about all of those things is a step too far they were writing a video game 
they were focused on the elements they needed to put into the video game and the backstory. And I'm sure there are documents, whether it's at Obsidian or Bethesda or wherever, that lay out the backstory and all the details. Here's all the things we know. Here's like, I'm sure when you're writing stuff, you've got a, a list of plot points and character details that you, you can refer back to if ever you move away from them for a while and you need a refresher. My point is that a lot of the things that we build out in our own minds as expectation and as headcanon and those kinds of things, you can't imply back to the creators. They don't necessarily have that perspective. And not and, and, and especially with a story like Fallout, it's been 25, 26 years in the making through multiple games. There's not an individual. I mean, I've been doing this show. I'm in my fifth. I'm moving into my sixth year of doing the show. I can't keep all the lore in my head at the same time. There are things I forget. There are things I have to go back up and, and look again and, and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. OK, that's what that is. Yeah, you can't assume that for anybody. And I'm not saying that justifies any mistakes or, or changes to the lore. What I'm what I am saying, though, is that focusing so much on one area often creates expectations that become unreasonable. You know, like mm -hmm. for one person, they may want the Fallout TV show to be super involved with the Brotherhood on a really detailed level. But at the same time, somebody else might be way into vault tech and they want lots of really juicy vault tech lore. And the truth of the matter is probably more like what you're explaining. We're going to get a little bit of this to remind people of this or teach people about this thing. We're going to get a little bit of something else. And then we're going to weave a story together and we're going to move in a new direction. And I think that's a good expectation to have. I think it is. And I and, and we have to, of course, temper our opinions, as you said, not jump to a conclusions because we got what, two minutes of of clips from who knows how many episodes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we really have you know, we know we know about a smidge of I think what we're ultimately going to get. And I would expect that they're going to have multiple seasons. I expect that they're going to visit many areas, not just in the Mojave, but I do think that they're actually going to try to take fallout to different areas of the country. We are going to see a lot of the mutated creatures. I think they're going to want to show a lot of those off. And yeah. I think we're going to get a lot of flashbacks. I think we are going to see like, so I remember seeing some of the, the behind the scenes photos and they had, and I think it was, oh, it was uh, trying to remember the name of the company, the medical company started with an H. It wasn't horn, right? It was, um, it's not coming to mind for me. Either. No, I can't remember. But it was, uh, but but it was basically. It looked like a bunch of people who could have been enclave, but it looked also like it was before the war. Right. right. So I imagine that they're going to use that. So so like for me, of course, you know, I'm, I'm I am an enclave quote unquote fan, just because that's what my podcast is about. But I like like one prediction that I'm going to make right now. You're not going to see the enclave in in this version of fallout in the tv series i except in flashbacks in the tv they series period like in the t uh, for, uh, and, like, uh, let's say they do five seasons we're not gonna they're not gonna show up at all i, I don't think so because they they pretty much put a pin in it i mean they you know they destroyed the oil rig you know they you know you have you could have no okay no all right, all right let me put let me put a caveat to there okay there could be enclave remnants in the tv show i do not expect to see the enclave as a faction i believe You'll see the NCR big time. You know, we we know that there's a flag in the in Vault 36. I Brotherhood's going to be a play a big role. There'll probably be well, there'll be a couple of Raider factions. I would I'm not going to say I'd be disappointed if they brought the the Enclave back as a big faction. I just don't see how I don't see how you tell that story. Mm -hmm. Now I have other ideas. Like if I was going to write it, I, I I again I have other ideas of what I would do. I think they're going to steer away from that only because. 
if I was the writer, I'd be like, that's kind of done. Like, I don't think we need to tell that story again. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I want to get to more of your predictions because that's where I want to go for the second half of the show. But, and like what you specifically would write into it. Uh, but I got to go thank our patrons. So don't go anywhere, everybody. We'll be right back with more Fallout TV show stuff. All right, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore to learn more. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, so let's take a really quick mid-break to welcome our newest patrons, Chris J. and Benjamin M. Welcome to the Patreon. If you are interested in getting ad-free episodes, t-shirts, joining us for patron chats, which are coming up next week on Wednesday the uh, 31st, Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on the 31st, then go to patreon.com slash Fallout Lorecast. Check out everything over there. See if you'd like to help support the show. And thank you to everybody who has supported us, including our Sentry bots who get shout outs every week, Germinator and Sky R. And to all of our, well, actually 84 of our current patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. Also, if you'd like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, read out five star reviews on future episodes. I'll also uh, be very thankful for any ratings on Spotify or whatever other podcatchers you listen to or sharing this with, with your friends, any of that stuff. You guys know how this works, but we've got more to talk about with Fallout and the TV show. So let's go do that. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right, so we're back, and you perfectly started moving this in the direction of things that you expect. Okay, so we're talking Enclave and the possibility of the Enclave showing up. You don't think, other than maybe in flashback material or maybe just one or two side characters who used to be part of the Enclave or something like that, that we're going to get much on it. Um, if, I were, if I were to counter this, tell me what you think about this. The first season is... The Brotherhood returning to the West from somewhere else, probably the East Coast, clashing with the NCR. Maybe they find out that the Brotherhood was already wiped out during New Vegas that was over in the West Coast, right? Or at least some of those remnants were were destroyed. They're upset. There's an attack. There's some sort of conflict between the NCR and the Brotherhood. The Vault Dweller that we are familiar with from the trailer and maybe some of these other people get in, in mixed up in the middle of it. And then at the end of the season there's a greater problem. The Enclave is returning. <laughs> and they have to band together in some way because the Enclave is a greater threat than, say, the Brotherhood just coming back to the West Coast. What do you think about that? 
So I, I think that could be interesting. I'd be so so for me, I am I am very curious about, and, and this is a kind of a, a fallout nerd thing of mine. I'm very curious about Chicago. And the reason I say that is because we know based on kind of the lore and the backstory and everything that there the enclave was in Chicago. Right. We also know the Brotherhood actually was in Chicago. And then thirdly, we also know the two of them actually work together. So I'm actually thinking that it may not be the enclave but there may be another faction that combines the you know the kind of the the the, the technology of the brotherhood with the patriotic fever of the enclave the ideology may, yeah yeah the ideology and maybe there is actually a third faction that could pop up so maybe the brother clave yeah some like maybe an interesting spin on that i mean i think that's that's interesting it also i also don't um I don't believe the writers will avoid potentially. Well, I, I would expect the writers will actually add something new. I would expect that we might see, for example, excuse me, what happens if the uh, children of the atoms show up? Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts you know, of other side factions that could yeah. that could play a role in it as well. Yeah. Um, but I like. I mean, but I do like your idea. I mean, I'm always the I'm always a fan of the initial conflict, and then you you create a bigger threat. One thing I'm very interested in is the actual identity of this brotherhood of steel because yes. we know that they're sometimes of different minds and we also know that there's there's multiple different factions of the brotherhood people tend to think well there's the west coast brotherhood and there's the east coast brotherhood technically if you kind of go into the lore of it there's multiple different chapters so potentially there could be many different brotherhoods and they could be competing with each other now of course you have the the it's not the pridwin but the big um, airship that right. shows up, right? Which leads me to believe that there could be some contact with the East Coast. I am a believer that. So for me, I believe that the Brotherhood of Steel is actually, I won't call them the big bad, but they are potentially the force that could unify the country. Only because their like, might makes right. They are the the biggest. They have the most technology. They're they're militaristic. These are the types of people that I would expect could potentially establish like a brotherhood empire yeah. so maybe this is maxon coming from the east coast to the west coast to be like yes like you said hey you killed our folks we're going to come down here and we're going to set down roots and oh by the way we don't like the fact that you have your own government and you have your own technology we're going to take it all from you right um but then you could be you know, but then you could also have conflict within the brotherhood itself you could have the hardliners you could have the people that actually want to help we've seen so, that before separatists and in, in different fractions of brotherhood and and yeah. the brotherhood is only as moral or only follows their ideology as accurately as their leader does mm -hmm. we've seen this multiple times you know yes. each, each group exactly. is really defined by their leader and their leaders sticking to or changing the ideology to say that there's an overarching brotherhood ideology and everybody fits within that is false there's the original ideology but then there's everybody else's interpretations as they came to power so 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 my so kind of so reading between the lines there's some kind of outbreak inside vault 33 we don't know yet whether or not this is a vault tech experiment that's gone wrong or if it's something that came in from the outside our vault dweller is sent out to find a cure find some way to to prevent this from happening she goes out um, so, so we have that storyline. Then we have this person with the Brotherhood of Steel. We don't know yet what their motivation yeah. is. Maximus is his name. Yeah. Ma Maximus. Right. 
And uh, wouldn't be surprised if we run into somebody named McNamara because McNamara seems to be a very popular name with the Brotherhood. There was elders <laughs> and Grant McNamara. Sorry, I just had all to sorts of M's. <laughs> yeah, Maxon McNamara, Max, all sorts of MAs. Maxon yeah. Maximus. Yeah. yeah. So, so we have that. So then we have that story. Then you throw in Groggins as the ghoul, who's going to be the um, tour guide. I would say he's more of like the tour guide, kind of guiding these folks through the wasteland. Yeah, he's the wastelander of the group. We've got a vault dweller. We have a wastelander. We have a brotherhood member. Like they all have kind of their own little sections yeah. of the world that they're familiar with. So they're all looking for something. We don't know what that something is. Supposedly, it's to change the balance of power of the wasteland. And, you know, that that's as much as we know. I think from there, you have to then start to, deter, start to determine where the conflict is going to be. And I obviously, to me, it's the, they're setting up the Brotherhood. And they haven't really mentioned the NCR, and I think that's only because they feel like they need to probably do more work there. Because if you talk to people about Fallout, yes, they might know who the NCR are, they might have heard the name, but they won't really understand what the NCR is. But if you say the Brotherhood of Steel, everybody knows what the Brotherhood is. So right. I think we're going to see a lot more work put into the establishment of the NCR as an entity. And I think that that's where we're going to see the conflict is actually between the NCR and the Brotherhood, and then put our characters in the middle. And yes. see how that ultimately yes. gets resolved. Um, but like I said, I mean, I think that's that's about as much as we can, based on what the TV show is showing us, that's about as much as I think we can guess. Yeah. I know where I'd like to take the story. Um, okay. I, I mean, I think that there are, I would like to take it out of, the, out of the Mojave. I'd like to take it out of the West Coast. I'd like to explore either the Pacific Northwest or I'd like to explore Texas. And I would actually also throw in West Tech and FEV. So I think that there's a way to tell a really compelling story about, you know, unethical experiments that went on. You can highlight that as one of the things that happened during, uh, you know, during the pre-war and maybe have a cult that has continued these experiments and are releasing things into the wasteland, which are causing, you know, new diseases, new mutated creatures. And then our explorers have to convince the NCR and the Brotherhood of Steel that this is something that they both need to combine to fight. So I think that there could be, that could be a compelling story. I like the Pacific Northwest only because it's a different region, heavily forested. You could have mutated Bigfoot-like creatures. Um, you know, maybe you could do something with, with the old ruins of Seattle. Um, that would yeah. be interesting. Actually, um, what would be very interesting is, oh, even a better faction to bring in, Chinese remnants, because that's something sure. that they really haven't dealt with. Yeah. And and maybe survivors from Alaska settled in the Pacific Northwest and you have like this, quote unquote, new Chinese empire Oof. that is Oof. is building up their, you know, you know, uncovering like the old ruins of like West, you know, old West Tech ruins, old Valtech ruins. That could be a very interesting story. I'd love to explore that because yeah. I don't think we've had enough kind of interactions between us and the Chinese. I, you know, you, there are a couple of characters that you find in the games or whatever, but I think that would be great. I'd yeah. love to see that yeah. story. Well, we have, I mean, we're going back to the West Coast. So we, there's a lot of things you can refer back to from Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 that are just kind of threads that just sort of ended. You know, the master, the creation of the super mutants, Frank Horrigan yeah, in Fallout 2. Uh, what if there are intelligent super mutants who are continuing to do experiments and augment themselves over time, create more super mutants? I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the remnants of the, you know, the Chinese 
uh, in the Northwest. Um, moving over to Texas, you have whatever happened with the Legion. And, oh, yeah. You know, like, are they going to factor into it? I think it would be really cool and very smart if in this first season you have the main conflict. Let's say it's NCR and Brotherhood. And of course, I, I'm assuming you would probably agree with this. Neither of them is the good guy or the bad guy. They're both just gray, right? Like, they're good for certain things and they're not so great at other things. And just like reality, neither of them is perfect. They're both gray. And like you were saying, the characters that we come to fall in love with end up in the middle somewhere and they've got to deal with that. And while they're dealing with all of that, you get little hints, just little tiny hints in the first season. Some, you find a stealth suit and there's some throwaway dialogue about oh yeah yeah the Chinese used to use stealth before the, during the Great War and, but why is that stealth suit there and there's like an open bag of you know food next to it like somebody was had actually just put it down and was eating lunch you know or you know or uh, the references to super mutants and the master and maybe rumors of somebody who was created by the master or even just the master's DNA shows up somewhere in a place way far away where it should have been why is it there What's going on with that or remnants of the Legion and little hints about other situations, other factions, other groups and things that could expand into future seasons that could bring in other conflict that needs to be resolved and tie back to these classic Fallout games. What do you think about all that? No, I mean, I think that that's I mean, it does make sense. And, and like kind of, as I said at the beginning, this idea that you are playing a bit to the community and to the fans that you are calling back to things that they're going to recognize, but use those as ways of building a larger world. I'm a firm believer that if you're going to tell a story, you can't tell everything all at once. Right. Again, as we said, you know, you do have to do a lot of this world building to begin with. Yeah, You foreshadow it with these little incidences that don't really play into the main plot of the first season. But in season three. You're going to have everyone doing YouTube videos about, oh, they warned us this was coming, because if you look at episode three of season one, this thing happened, you know, and, and well, I mean, I think that I, feels really that, good as a, as a viewer to see those connections when they happen like that. Oh, it does. Uh, actually, it's funny. In, in my podcast, I'm actually referring back to things that happened like two seasons before now. So I've, I'm really waiting for people to be like, you know, the, what is it that the Leonardo DiCaprio thing where he's like pointing at the yeah. TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for people to do that. But I think in the oh, show, he foreshadowed it two seasons ago. Oh, no way. We should have seen yeah. this coming. How did we miss it? Yeah, that stuff's great. So, yeah, I. but from my perspective, I would I, I think it's smart to move Fallout out of the Mojave. But I would expect that almost the entire first season is going to be there only because it is probably the most established. It's the most recognizable. There's a lot of really cool areas of interest. Like I would love for them to go to New Vegas. Yeah. And and, yeah. and that's actually a great way to highlight. Well, first of all, so you'd have the absurdity of the pre-war world, and you're going to show that. New Vegas should be the great way to show the absurdity of the post-war world. Like this is how people are acting. Like this idea of a post-apocalyptic Vegas that is still functionally the same. People are gambling. It's bottle caps instead of money. Um, I hope the white, what is it, the white glove society is yes. still there. So, you, oh, oh my God, can you imagine a story you could tell about that? And they find out that they're all cannibals. Oh, oh yeah, that would be fantastic. It'd be so good. And, and the, the, uh, robots with TVs for heads, you know, like on, a yes. t on act, <laughs> not just in the game, but like on a TV show, seeing robots with TV heads walking around going, Hey there, partner, you know, like, oh, so good. Yes. Now here's, a, here's a question for you. Are they going to have function functioning automobiles? I don't think so. 
You think they're going to you think they're going to make it so that just everything's like Um I well I this is this goes back to the whole joke about how they never make vehicles and fall out and and <laughs> all the vehicles are broken down. Why didn't somebody just fix up a car and use it to get to get somewhere? Um so two I guess my initial thought on that is first of all uh we don't have it in the games so it doesn't really make sense to bring that over into the series unless we're showing that society is uh, is coming back. That people have the means to repair or create new vehicles and be able to drive around. Secondly, uh, automobiles, specifically cars, are most beneficial in a society with roads and highways that are well regulated and maintained. In a wasteland, you don't have that. You end up with lots of uh, dirt roads and broken down highways and things like that. So any vehicle that's going to take you any considerable amount of distance needs to be an all-terrain vehicle. So that's not just hopping in your Honda Civic and driving to the grocery store. That's getting on your four by four truck because you got to drive across the wilderness to get to the next place you're going. Now, are we going to see any of that? Possibly. I think the Brotherhood has a variety of vehicles, not just ones that fly. So might we see like a transport mover or something like that? Possibly. I think that's totally possible. Um, are we going to end up in a place like New Vegas and see cars driving around New Vegas? Probably not. Maybe unless they're, unless they're being pulled by Brahmin, that right. would be uh... carts pulled by Brahmin or maybe even self, you know, powered scooters and little vehicles like that. But actual automobiles, I, I feel less likely that you're going to see that uh, also because the strip isn't that big. I mean, sure, the one that we get in the video game is video game sized and everything's kind of miniaturized. But even if you were to expand that, say, three or four times it's not really that far to go, <laughs> you know, like to drive from one end of the strip to another would take you a minute in a car. It would take you maybe five minutes to walk. It's not that far, right? Um, so that's that's my theory. What do you think? No, I mean, I, I actually, I was hoping that that would be your answer because I think a lot of people would be like, oh, well, why aren't they just driving cars around? Well, first of all, most of the cars were actually atomic powered, so that wouldn't actually work. So right. they don't have access to that. Um, actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to different modes of transportation. Like we don't see horses in the game. Yeah, People don't ride Brahmin in game. I want to see things like that because, again, I'm very interested in the world building that they're going to do. They're going to explain a lot of this. They're going to show a lot of it to us. And that's what that's what I'm expecting to see. I'm expecting so, people to be riding. Actually, I'm expecting to see people riding lots of weird looking animals. That's right, what I expect. Right. Yeah. So how I mean, we've got the cowboy thing, right? Like, uh, clearly, this is cowboy influenced in some of the design and the outfit. Uh, Goggins characters wearing a cowboy hat. Are we going to see a certain amount of this like post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic cowboy thing? Like are, when we see an NCR Ranger, are we going to get that same feeling of like this is like the Wild West or is it going to feel a little bit more modernized? So I, I think they have to go to me. They have to go full 50s. I think they have to make it over the top cowboy. So not. Like, uh, like Marty McFly's outfit he puts on before yeah. he goes back in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, that's actually some of what I'm expecting. Sure, there'll be dusters and things like that, but I would fully expect that we're going to see that over-the-top semi-comedic element because it would, it would just make sense. Mm -hmm. And what people have to refer back to is, again, what, what they were doing pre-war, which was, again, that all over-the-top 1950s. So why wouldn't that carry forward? That's been an ongoing thing where they, everybody's not part of it is I think you're going to have this dichotomy of people looking to the future of how they want to rebuild, 
but they're always going to be referring back to the past because all they have is the wreckage of this old world and they want to emulate that because that was supposedly the pinnacle of human civilization, even though it was what caused the end of civilization. So, yeah, I would love to see a ranger show up in in like sparkly, like like not necessarily like sequined <laughs> or whatever, like a sparkly outfit or whatever. But I could definitely see it being. I, I So I think you're going to have to you're going to have the gritty uh, like mercenary slash bounty hunter slash raider aesthetic. And then I think you are going to have that more retro future slash past, you know, look of of a bit of ridiculousness. And I I'm a, I and I don't mind that. I think you could do you could play a lot with that, mm-hmm. depending on how much civilization they show. Because I also think that there's what I would expect in the show is that at first we're going to see this wasteland, then they're going to slowly introduce different pockets of civilization, which is one of the reasons why I think they eventually will show up at New Vegas because that's going to be one of the big pockets of civilization. And that's where you can start showing the dichotomy of, oh, this is how people are living out out there in the desert. Oh, this is how people are actually trying to rebuild civilization. And maybe they're not necessarily doing it the right way, you know, because there is obviously this this idea that if you look too much to the past, all you're going to do is repeat it. That's true. That's true. Uh, so you make me think about things uh, uh, from the perspective of things they need to put in to the show to appeal to a general audience that isn't super familiar with Fallout and how some of that stuff might hit us as a little bit odd or, or just slow moving or whatever from fans of the Fallout stuff, right? Because it's not primarily catering to us so much as trying to cater to everybody. But if you flip that on its head and you go, okay, what things are they going to bring in from New New Vegas, the game, or other weird Fallout stuff that would hit the general audience as super weird? The first thing that comes to mind for me is all of a sudden our main characters run into an Elvis impersonator. Because <laughs> the kings. we would all get it. We'd be like, oh, he's part of the Kings. Okay, we get it. This is cool. This is a reference to Fallout New Vegas. But the general audience is going to be like, what? There's an Elvis impersonator in this show? Can you imagine? Like, that wouldn't make sense to them at all it might be awesome but it like that would hit them super weird whereas something like oh you ever see her that that vault is a cyclops okay that's a little weird like that's not going to hit them as weird but for some reason that hits the fault fans super weird it's well it's yeah. weird. it's weird how that works right there's certain yeah. things you throw in there and it's going to hit some of the audience as being like wait what and i'm actually glad you mentioned that because i would say the general audience would see the cyclops and they'd be like, they'd be fine with that. It's yeah. really only the Fallout fans that that don't want that. Right. So right. Oh, there's this guy. Yeah, they explain it. He has some sort of weird mutation. There's mutation mutations in this world. Okay, Cyclops, big deal, right? The general audience will think that, but the Fallout fans are gonna be like, there's never been a Cyclops, which is exactly what they're doing. But you flip it around, you put an Elvis impersonator, and this, <laughs> the Fallout fans are like, oh, of course, he's part of the Kings, and the general audience is gonna be like, what, are we gonna see other famous? Personators, what is going on here? We have the Taylor Swift impersonator coming up. Like, what's what's next, right? Like, it won't make any sense to them. I have to wonder yeah. if there's other stuff that, like, I just haven't thought of that way, and I'm just be like, what? Oh, man. Well, I mean, a lot of the creatures. Well, we're going to recognize most of the creatures, and I'm sure that they're actually going to try to throw in a few more that we haven't seen. Uh, I think that the general audience will probably just take that as like. I think everybody will recognize the death claw when they see it, but when like a Cazador shows up, I think maybe unless you played New Vegas a lot, you're not necessarily going to know what those are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Guai makes sense. Oh, it's a big mutated bear. That's not too hard. Yeah. But you throw something like a centaur on the screen. 
And oh yeah. The the Fallout audience is gonna be like, oh yeah, man, those things are gross. I hate those. The general audience is gonna go, oh god, what is that? Because that's the feeling you get the first time you see it in the game. Well, and I think that the, so kind of thinking back to to story elements that that either I would explore or should be explored in the game is definitely the reaction to. And you you mentioned intelligent super mutants. So in in the West, we know that there are a lot of super mutants around. Yeah. And they're not all the, hey, I'm going to kill every human I see. They're actually, they have some measure of intelligence. They they have small pockets of their own civilization, et cetera. I would love to explore this dynamic of different you know, ghouls getting together. You know, how do ghouls and humans interact? How do super mutants and humans interact? Yeah. Are they actually part of a more egalitarian society where they're all like, oh, well, we're all in the wasteland together? Or is there actually conflict between the different, you know, you can almost call them like ethnic groups. I mean, they're they're mutated groups, really. Yeah. Well, the, you know, yes. I mean, that is a, that is an apt analogy for the different races, you could say. If this was a fantasy game, these would be races, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, that also brings uh, the um, uh, the the Nightkin. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the nightkin could be a thing, but that's another one of those things that you put the nightkin. You have a super mutant that all of a sudden turns invisible, and the fan base is going to go, "Oh, nightkin!" Right? But like the general audience is going to go, "What? They turn invisible? <laughs> They're big giant yeah. super mutants, and they can turn invisible too? What the heck?" Yeah. Well, that's that's where I'm really hoping that they they take their time and they layer this story, very much like what the Marvel movies did. You know, when Iron Man came out, it yeah. was, oh, it's Iron Man and he's one guy in a suit. And then every movie after that slowly built on this world where suddenly it became, oh, Thanos. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Of course, Thanos, because they this work. Whatever. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So in Fallout, I want them to I want them to slowly introduce this in a way that not only makes it so that we understand what's going on. We understand that this is the wasteland. We have a story that we're expecting to be told. But I really want them, I really want a general audience to be able to understand what's going on. I want them to feel like this is a story that's more ubiquitous, that yes, it's taking place in this post-apocalyptic universe, but I really like the fact that they're telling a story about this kind of conflict and I'm under, you know, and I, I can, the characters are appealing to me. I enjoy the fact that they're showing me these creatures that, mm-hmm. you know, some of them are talking to us and it's like, wow, I want to know more about that. And also we, we have to understand that Google is a thing. So if I see something in a TV show and I don't understand it, I can actually go online and figure out what that is. Right, so right. so there's a bit of a there's a bit of a learning curve that I expect that we're all going to have to go through. We as fans are going to have to accept the fact that this is not going to be the show that we expect it to be, the 100% canon it's going to be, you know, people are going to talk like NPCs in the game or whatever, you know. I mean, this is a living breathing story and I want to give them as much opportunity to tell something that We'll just add overall to the Fallout universe because that's really what we need. You know, we have a lot that's out there, but this is really our first opportunity to put it in mass media in a way that we've never seen before. Yeah. What a great way to wrap up our conversation. You just you basically just <laughs> concluded our conversation, took us back around all the things that we talked about and, and where, uh, where we are now. I, I think we're very much on the same page with this. And deep down. You know, I, I love callouts to the lore. I hope that this is as lore friendly as they possibly can make it and still make it work for a general audience. But even more than that, I hope it's a good story with good acting and good directing. And it just feels like Fallout and the visuals make it feel like Fallout so far. So I think I think we're headed in a good direction. That's that's where I feel. But uh, Lawrence, thank you so much for joining me. I love getting your perspective on this stuff. Clearly, you're somebody who does this a lot. And and uh, feel free to like, where can people reach out to you? Check out the stuff that you're doing, any of that stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. So so the podcast can be found on on all the regular podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Good Pods, et cetera. Yeah. The uh, Modus just, Files, by the way. Yeah, the, the, Modus, yeah, files. the, the Modus Files. Uh, we're also on all of the various social media platforms. You can either find us at Modus Files um, at, or at Modus Files Podcast, depending on where you go, Instagram, Twitter. I'm not going to call it X, Twitter. <laughs> I do the um, same thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Blue Sky. Uh, yeah, just again, search for Modus Files. You'll find us. We're also, we have a website, um, uh, which is just modusfiles.com. Uh, M-O-D-U-S-F-I-L-E-S.com. Um, and then we also just started our own Patreon just because we have a lot of fans and they want to have an opportunity to support the show. Uh, we have a great cast, great story. We're going to drop uh, the fifth episode of our third season early next week. A uh, real barn burner. Um, so nice. I, I hope that people who listen to this will take a chance to listen to our podcast and hear a, a great follow-up story again told from the perspective of the bad guys yeah and and you've been you've been at this for three seasons now for multiple years uh, i'm glad you're still at it and bringing a lot of people in the community in for voice acting and, and participating in it um it's a wonderful thing and i'm glad that you're still going and uh you know congratulations i, th I think you've done an awesome job with it so thanks for joining me on this show of course you guys know my deal robotsradio.net for my show you can find a link to the most files there as well and then you can also find all the other four shows that i do uh but thanks for tuning in and if you have perspectives on the fallout tv show i would love to hear them join us on the robots radio discord jump in the fallout lorecast channel share your thoughts and your your feelings about how things are going to go and who knows maybe we can all just make some crazy predictions and then we can come back around to it in a few months and be like oh that guy on the on the forums was right around the discord was right they predicted a thing because that's always fun so thanks for being here i'll be back next week with our patrons and until then stay safe out in there in that crazy wasteland because you never know when the brotherhood's going to come back out west or you know uh enclave <laughs> people show back up out of nowhere or you know the chinese come down from alaska or the legion i don't you, you know what's going on all right i'll see y'all later bye everybody To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.